Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chicks No Ship podcast. Today, I have with me Jessica Kasuchi, who is the founder and CEO of Mount Olympus Performance Group, um, which is a firm that provides high-impact science and research-based executive and performance coaching for women. Uh, Jessica has 18 years experience as a corporate attorney, which she took all of that experience basically to form form her own company in uh, 2019 with the goal of helping women aspire to big things and achieve them, which is so much about what this podcast is all about. So I'm super excited to dig in here. In addition to coaching, Jessica is also found sharing inspirational stories of everyday women doing bold, brave, and brave and badass things on her own podcast called Boldly Spoken, um, which I was privileged enough to be a guest on and love, love, love what you're doing with that one. So the more voices we have talking about women doing bold and brave things in this world, the better as far as I'm concerned. And when she isn't making playlists filled with deep house 90s hip hop and bits of David Bowie for good measure, she's hiking, playing with her rescue pets, Orion, Finn, and Nix, and cooking family style meals for the people she loves. So welcome, Jessica. Happy to have you with us. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. So happy to be here and, uh, and return the favor. I really loved having you on the show and uh, hearing all about your story. So I'm, I'm really happy to be here today. Yeah, I mean, you? I'm great. Like one of my favorite, favorite things is podcasting. And the reason I love this is because I get to connect with awesome, badass women like you doing crazy things. So I just, I love that we can, we can talk. So Jessica and I uh, met through the wonderful world of the interwebs. And when we finally connected, we were kind of, I think, in and around the periphery of a mutual friend of ours and coach. And then when we finally connected and kind of shared our stories, I was like, okay, this one has to be shared. So um, Jessica is the epitome of what I call a badass um, woman because she (laughs) is like, first of all, her story is super interesting, but she also really has really has used her voice to stand up for what's important to her and for all women, actually. I would like call her maybe a trailblazer in that space. And, you know, it's especially when we kind of reach midlife, it's often a time where we feel a little bit silenced or our voices maybe are not heard as much as they should be or could be. And so when I see women standing up for what's right, it, uh, I find it always inspiring. So first of all, I know you've done a huge pivot in your life. Mm-hmm. from corporate attorney to what you do now. So I would love to, for you to kind of explain to us kind of what, where you were, what inspired your pivot and where, what you're doing now. Sure. Absolutely. But I have to give you a little bit of background. Yeah. Because you'll understand why I had to do what I had to do. Cool. So I am the, the child of basically immigrants. My great grandparents and my grandmother raised me. So I was very lucky to have them. I mean, my mom was around. She was a single mom. She had me very young. My biological father was on drugs in jail and I didn't see him most of my life. Or, and most of the people I grew up with didn't even graduate high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in my life, I was very blessed to be born smart and got my work ethic from my great-grandparents. And when I was growing up, 
you know, especially for girls, I'm 45 now, um, in the neighborhood when I grew up from our cultural background, we're Italian American, you didn't see a lot of women working outside the home. And when you did, it was in, so they were maybe a teacher until they had kids or helped kids on the bus or something like that, or in restaurants and things like that. But (laughs) I knew that from a very early age, I wanted my life to be different and I wanted to travel. My grandmother was brilliant. And she was wanted to be an opera singer, but wasn't allowed to go away. And there was an English teacher, a microbiologist, and a psychiatric social worker. Wow. Um, and for someone who was a first-generation American and a woman, um, that's all pretty amazing things. Yeah. <laughs> but she never got to travel. And she would read to me and ask me about the times and articles and what I thought about it from a very early age. So I was really blessed in the way I got this amazing... Um, education from her and this work ethic from my great grandparents. And I knew I had to do something with it. And I knew I wanted to have a little bit different life, a very different life than they got to have and different life than uh, a lot of the women that I saw. And that's not anything against their life. They had great lives, but I just, I wanted to see the world. And back then, I don't know if you could remember, well, in the U S you know, they would have these commercials for the army to try and get you to go and say, see the world, join the army. And back then that wasn't something that girls did. You know, again, everybody, we're talking late seventies, early eighties. So it's a little different time now, thank God. But I also wanted, felt that I had to take care of them later on. My mom had kind of a challenging life and didn't graduate high school. And so I knew if the family was ever going to need anything, and there were seven of us that I kind of had to be the one to step up. And so, you know, kids of immigrants at that point drilled into your head, be a doctor or a lawyer, be a doctor or right. a lawyer, be a doctor or a lawyer. I never wanted to dissect anything because I love animals. So law school, here we go. I, I you know, <laughs> right. so <laughs> I'm fast forwarding a bit. But, you know, I, you have this, I have to be a good girl right. mentality and I have to give back to the family. And the, it's not bad things, but- but it's it an obligation. You, you felt an obligation. Yeah. And it yeah. makes you keep your head down in a way. You know, if anybody's watching me now, yeah, you see me with purple hair and I have tattoos and stuff like that. But I still, I got great grades all the time. I put pressure on myself. I wanted to do well. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to get into the best law school I could get into. And I was recruited by a firm right out of school right away. And I worked like a dog for many, many, many years with the, with the goal of, I'm going to be a partner one day. I'm going to be a partner one day working 90 hours a week. If you worked out the time per hour, it was definitely less than minimum wage. Uh, I owed, even with scholarships, I owed $120,000 between college and law school. So you have this obligation to your family Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. internally. They never, made me feel that way. It was something that was inherited. For sure. I want to say that. And then you have this debt and then you're at work. And I had this internal drive to succeed and be a good girl and fit myself into this little mold and box, which was always a little hard for me to do. Fuck that. Very hard for me to do. (laughs) And, but I was really, really good at what I did. I was really good at what I did. Uh, I got dropped into I, I was like the Navy SEAL of finance. I would get dropped into every project that was going bad or any client situation that was miserable. And they sent me in they, and I fixed it. 
and they moved me four times. You know, and as you can imagine, that's not the easiest on maintaining personal relationships, yeah. family, health, all that. Like um, your job at that point is literally your life. Like where else yeah. do you have time for anything? Yeah. And there were a lot of sacrifices. And in my head all right. the time, I kept a picture of my great grandfather on my desk. And I was like four years old sitting on his lap. And I was like his favorite. And given that I didn't have a dad until I was... Uh, 17 and my mom remarried to an amazing angel, but I didn't have a dad growing up except him. And I would look at the picture on my desk and I said, if he didn't complain, how can I, you know, I'm mm -hmm. making more money than anybody in my family ever dreamed of. You know, I get to travel, but I'm working these ungodly hours. I'm smoking too much. I'm drinking too much. I'm eating too much because that was the only way that we were conditioned to burn anything off. So fast forward, 16 years later, 16 years later, and, you know, life starts seeing the cracks, you know, relationships go the wayside, life goes the wayside of, of everything. And then um, things happened. Uh, certain things happened that, you know, I still did the right thing. I, I tried to speak to the right people. I tried to follow the rules. On, on how you're supposed to handle things. So are these, is this thing specific to your career that you're talking about now? Like in terms, no. or just in life well, in general? Yes, yeah, no, yes and no. I mean, okay. I, can, I can go into a, a little bit. Something happened with me and a fellow partner at the firm, uh, which I can't go into all the specifics, but um, I'm yeah. sure you all can get the gist or Google, um, <laughs> you know, because it's got to follow me forever, right? Which we'll, we'll get, get into. And um, yeah. I did the right thing and I waited and I was asked to trust them. You know, there was always this, the firm becomes like your family when you're with them for 90 hours a week for 15 years of your life, for most of your adult life, it becomes your second family. Yeah, for sure. And, and like your parents, when they tell you to trust them, it's weird. You do. Right. And I also did a lot of recruiting and training. And I said, and I would always say, you know, we work hard hours. It's not easy. This job isn't for the faint of heart, but I can look at the people next to me every day and say, I trust them and I trust them to have my back. And at that point I did, but I waited and I waited and I waited for resolution for something to happen. And I slowly started getting sick. I wouldn't, I wasn't able to sleep there. It was affecting my concentration and then when similar things started coming out in the news, I, and I still got radio silence, I was like, what the hell is going on? I don't understand. I never mm -hmm. got an answer. I never got a resolution. So what do you think is like making you sick at this point? Is it like the anxiety of, oh, of, I, of that or just like holding in what you- It was holding in. Right. It was absolutely okay. holding in. So at that point, very few people- knew at work obviously there were some people who saw stuff but right. few people knew anything and um obviously little you know things in my family like nobody really knew because part of what you go through is you know i i had already gone through what did i do to make somebody think this is okay did people mm. think that what are they going to think you know all the stuff you go through because i'm conditioned to be a good girl right Right. So you blame yourself. You go through all these different things and then the anger comes out. 
when you start realizing that, hey, I did nothing wrong, somebody else was supposed to do something and they're not. And that helplessness and that frustration. And then the anger kept building because I didn't see anything. And then finally, you know, when you realize that nothing's happening, I looked at my little sister who's here and she knows this. So, uh, and you know, she had, we're, we're very far apart in age. She's 26 and I'm 45. And at that point she was entering the workforce, like as a real grown up. And I looked at some of my staff. I was a mentor and a coach for a really large team and all these people. And I said, if I don't say something, if I don't do something, if I don't, if I don't make somebody see this is going to happen to somebody else mm-hmm. or there isn't going to be anything. And I said, if I'm a partner, so if I'm a partner, and for those of you that don't see me on video, I'm a white woman, educated woman in the US, which I'm not a white guy, so I'm not there, but I'm in a pretty privileged position at this point. Right. And if I don't get some sort of justice, what flipping hope is there for anybody else? Right. And I got to the point where I said, I went through all the bad things that could come out about me. I went through a whole list. I said, what are like the 10 worst things? I went through all the fears you could think of. I thought about my family. I thought if I lost, you know, my job, you know, what's going to happen? I had a lot of heart to hearts with my dad, my stepdad, who's my dad now, who's an angel. And um, explained that, you know, why I was going to do it. And right. what, what it entailed, because I said, if I don't do it, then what happens? You know, what if Katie's in that situation? What if somebody else, if I don't do this, then all the sacrifices that all the women in my family made for me to be happy, what was the point of that? Yeah. And I, then my obligation shifted. And I knew at that point I had to do something. So I said, F it. And then I blew up my life. And it was easier in some ways and harder in, in others. That's for sure. So. Okay. So you make the decision to do what, what you know is the right thing to do and mm-hmm. to, to use your voice to speak out against um, mm-hmm. this adjustment, injustice. So I'm imagining, and correct me if I'm wrong, the first step is kind of very freeing as in I just spoke up. Like what was kind of the next unexpected step? Like what kind of like did you go through as you were kind of navigating, you know, the basically as you put it, the blowing up your life? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so there were two tears, right? Because the first time I said something, that was when the terror was. Oh, and like okay. I still had the guilt. So that was almost a year and a half before the, the blow up. Okay, gotcha. Then when it was the confrontation, I went through all the what ifs, you know, I'm a lawyer by training, right? So I went through all the legal what ifs. I went through all that. And I'm a lawyer and a planner. And I went through all the what ifs. What about this? What about that? You know, what if, you know, I had been a fairly private person before this. I was Mm -hmm. raised before Instagram and Facebook and all that good stuff. And, you know, you keep your business out of the street, as my great grandparents used to say. Right, right. And um, it was just a... It was funny. I got through the, the fear part because <laughs> I was angry. And I also, once I spoke to my support squad, if you will, my family, my good friends, then I felt more empowered. 
but there was a successive steps after me first saying something that could have things got to the point where you know yes things were in the paper yes it's in google yes it's this but it could have gotten to another level and it was funny it was like every time i was afraid of something happening it actually turned out better and easier mm. so i kind of learned to be fearless along the process but right. fearless out of experience you know i certainly wasn't fearless the f- the first time i certainly wasn't fearless uh when i first yeah. told my story either but it got to the point where I was like, I'm not doing, once I got to the point of I'm not doing this for me, then I didn't give a shit. Then right. I didn't give a shit. Right. But yeah, I mean, I think that's so interesting because in every, every time we want to make a big shift in our lives, like there's going to be fear. Like there is not one person that I know that I've talked to on this podcast or anywhere else who didn't like have massive reservations about what they were about to do. But I think the important point that you just made is every time you take a step forward in the face of that fear, Mm -hmm. you get emboldened to take the next step in the face of the fear. And it's not that the fear actually really ever goes away. It's just that you learn to handle it better. Right. 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 Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm agreeing with you. I was just thinking of, it reminds me of, so I'm learning Spanish and Italian and it's, correctly for the first time in my life and you know that fear it's so funny in front of strangers I don't get nervous like around my close friends I get nervous but the fear starts lessening every time it's like yeah I'm yeah. gonna mess up I'm gonna use the wrong word and so what it's okay you know but it also goes back to that whole thing of being a good girl and not wanting to mess up yes that's, not wanting to rock the boat <laughs> not wanting to rock the boat being a good kid I was kind of raised in a little bit of a you know, chaotic family system that you didn't want to add to the chaos. Everybody had so much going on that I didn't want to add to things. So I held a lot of stuff in. Yeah. And that's, I, I had to unlearn all of that. And I'm still unlearning all of that. I think we're all unlearning that because I think as women in our culture today, you know, like we've all taken on the good girl role. Right? right? Like that's how the Me Too movement got started because we all didn't want to rock the boat. You know, I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want to cause this. I don't want to, you know, I don't want people to think badly of me. And that like, we're so much more focused on other people um, than we are on ourselves. And that's what causes us to hold all this stuff in, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. so even outside of your family, it's cultural programming that exists everywhere. Right. Right. And then we wonder why we lose our voice entirely. Oh, yeah. I mean, right? I like, <laughs> you wonder why you, you lose your voice, you make yourself small mm-hmm. in so many ways. You know, I, I, I see this picture of me that I had when I was, I was always a little chubby kid, but I did sports. I did gymnastics and swimming, you know, two sports where you're like half naked all the time. So, <laughs> you know, and uh, talking about going into the fire and I see these, sometimes this picture of me in a leotard, my Mary Lou Retton. Olympic leotard. Right. I was eight with my little chubby belly and I did not give a shit. Exactly. And I, I wonder sometimes what happens between that age and like the rest of your friggin' life, unless you do something about it that makes you be quiet and cover up and dim yourself in, in so many ways. And part of what I do now 
is to kind of peel all that away and, yeah. and get women to shine and use their voice for whatever they want to do and whoever they want to be Yeah, to let that out. So yeah, that's how I kind of ended up where I am now. <laughs> yeah. It's um, because too, I think like you make a really good point. So, you know, we start off as kids being completely carefree. Like my body is a functional thing and it lets me run and jump and play. It doesn't matter what it looks like. And then as soon as you like, I think it's probably, around 12 or so where you start mm -hmm. to become aware of, you know, the messaging that's like coming at you from magazines, from TV, mm -hmm. billboards everywhere. Like we are, I think I read somewhere we're every day we are bombarded with 30,000 plus messages of what the right way to be a woman is like the right way to look what a woman should be, what she shouldn't be and all of that. So like, yeah, I mean, you're taking young and impressionable minds and you're just like literally filling them with this idea of what it means to be a woman, which is so Mm -hmm. freaking far off base. It's not funny. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, we lose our voices, we lose ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah, it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, and it goes into even losing your sense of sovereignty over your physical yeah. body on top of it. And that's also where, you know, you lead into, the, you know, going back to what we were saying, you know, did I do something? Yeah. Did I, am I this? Did I, you know, oh, it wasn't that bad. You know, it, yeah. uh, they didn't do oh. X. You know, that's that's a that's a big one right there. Like, it, it's yeah. okay, it's okay. I, I I don't need to feel whole and safe and complete in my skin. Like, how the hell do we ever learn that one? You know, I yeah, so. like minimizing it to make it okay, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah. oh yeah, that's so huge. Yeah, and God, like women have been doing that for thousands of years yeah right oh yeah i mean you but you know they had to do it to survive i mean exactly of the land it was not kind as much as we talk about life now i thank god every day that i was born in 1975 versus 1075 or 75 or 1775 yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and and i hope 100 years from now it's it's better but there's a lot of undoing that we need to do that's built into our DNA. Yeah. That I think that we're all on the right path to doing that. And yeah. Yeah. We are taking baby steps along the path. Steps. I mean, collective baby steps, which actually adds up to a lot of big steps, like for mm -hmm. every woman that, you know, leans in and, mm -hmm. you know, steps into her truth. Mm -hmm. Like the collective impact of that is so much bigger than the one person. Right. Yeah. So for people like you who, you know, stood up to, the corporate machine, which is n no easy thing to do, right? Like, especially when you have invested like literally your entire life yeah. to getting to that place and doing that thing. And then to have that, and that's like you said, that trust that you built, right? Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Now, now, yeah, now I have to go against everything that I've ever created. So, yeah. And I basically gave up my second family Mm -hmm. Because people I was with every single day for almost 20 years, it's very interesting to me who, who I still can talk to and who I can't. And some of those mm. are pretty surprising and heartbreaking. But I mean, I gave up, you know, it certainly wasn't, I'm divorced. And that was, there was a lot of, and we can go into that too. There was a yeah. lot of issues there, but me working 90 hours a week, us moving three times, having to take clients out all the time, didn't freaking help things either made for great vacations and pictures, but it certainly didn't help. Um, yeah. I, you know, 
the the most if you want to on a deeper level it's it i the most fertile if you will years of your life you know spent in a in an office with no light in front of a computer all day every day weekends christmas everything else so you know when you talk about what i gave up it's it's not just the money no uh it's not the title uh it's it was a whole lot of my life and there's nothing anybody can ever do that will bring that back. There's, there's nothing. So you mourn, no matter how you say you speak up, but there are things that you mourn for beyond the paycheck and the job. And I mean, if I, I mean, I, I can't ever work in my field again either. I don't want to, but I couldn't, there's no way. So it's, you're 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 really, to reinvent. Yeah, Sorry. well, exactly. And you're really grieving a life that you had not dreamed of, like worked your ass off to get there. And then all oh, of a sudden yeah. in an instant, it's like, it's gone. Like, of course you're going to have grief for that. Yeah. I mean, I worked my first job. I was eight years old. I swept up hair in my aunt's hair salon. <laughs> I would run errands for the women in there. And back then, you know, you could send a kid to the store for a pack of cigarettes or candy or snacks. <laughs> right. and, you know, the good old days. <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, I'm not, it was, it was a fun memory for me, but you know, thinking about that now, I'm like, it's kind of, you know, we all survived. Okay. And, um, <laughs> it was, it was, I, I certainly learned a lot. I, I heard a lot of great stories there, but, um, <laughs> sure you but did. It, it was, I was working from then. And then you go from work. That's another thing. It's never mind pivoting in a career, but going from working nonstop, Pretty much, I, you know, with everything since you're a little kid to then all of a sudden you jump off the cliff. Never mind. But what do you do with yourself at that point? Bingo. That's the thing. That is literally the thing. So that would, I mean, that's exactly my story, right? Like, yeah. you know, like I leave this career and then I'm like, holy shit, I'm not, you know, I'm not my title. You know, I don't like, like the, I used to dread the, what do you do question. Like, it would be like, like, okay, how do I answer that? Like, who am I? Like, what do I do? What do I want to do? Right? Yeah, that's, that is exactly the question. Where do I go from here? And that's a lot of what I talk to my clients about, right? Mm -hmm. I used to say for a while, because I didn't want to explain everything, and I can explain some of it whenever, that I was on sabbatical. That's what I said. I'm on a sabbatical. (laughs) Because in my head, I'm like, I'm on a sabbatical. I don't know what I'm returning to. I have to do something productive with my time. But I, I, I said I was on a sabbatical until I got my mind right, decided what I was going to do with myself because I couldn't comprehend being jobless. Yeah. We're, you know, we're recording this in a very strange time for the world. And yes. so I don't want to definitely, God, I, I don't want anyone who has lost their job to think I'm speaking negatively about them. It was more of, for me, I couldn't imagine leaving, consciously leaving a job to do nothing. That yeah. was kind of what, what the cliff was. I couldn't, it was so incongruent with ed, and everything I knew about me. Yeah. That, you know, it was a reckoning for sure, all around. <laughs> Yeah, well, you really are kind of forced to confront yourself <laughs> because it's also easy for us to distract and to lose ourselves in our career because like that's the thing that you're supposed to want. That's the thing that's societally acceptable for you to want, right? Like, And so you push everything else to the side in favor of that. And I know for me, there was a huge part of unraveling 
Like, okay, so if I'm not that, who am I? Like, what do I want to do? Like if, you know, like I'm building, like I've got a blank sheet of paper. Like mm-hmm. there's no lines for me to color between. I need to draw the lines first and then color them in. Like how do I draw those lines? Mm-hmm. Like was that an issue for you or did you, did you kind of just fall into, or like how did you get from, okay, I've blown up my life and now I'm in this place where, you know, I'm coaching women Mm. and coaching and mentoring like what was the gap like what was the no longer and not yet the gap between so yeah so I have to also share another little bit of a story so you you can kind of understand leaving my job leaving like I say it was like yeah I had a party and I left but leaving my job was the icing on the cake for stuff that I had dealt with for the past four years, three, four years before that. So Mm. it's a pivot, but it's a continuation of work I was doing. So I was married before and on paper, great. He saves people's lives for a living, tall, dark, handsome, speaks three languages, loves kittens, all those great things. Everybody loves him. (laughs) Great, kind, calm when you meet him. Tattoo, just my type, you know, but things started falling apart. So when we got married, I had known that there was a history of drug abuse prior, but Mm. he had been clean and sober for a while, a long while, which he did all on his own. It also was hereditary. Um, His mom was a a recover in, I guess you say you're in recovery your whole life um, in recovery and alcoholic, but he was the first person that made me feel safe funny Mm -hmm. and things were good for a while we had tried to have a kid it didn't work out I mean I was always heavier than I am now but then at one point I had gained almost 80 pounds still loved me you know great working all these ungodly hours now I'm heavy you know doing all the stuff so I said this I have to get healthy for me and I started I found working out and I finally loved it again since I was a little kid into gymnastics. I started CrossFit. I love the camaraderie. I love the teamwork. So I started losing weight. We got my hormones in check. I started doing yoga and meditating and, you know, reading all these books. I was reading about kids that grew up in abusive households. I was doing the work on me. Mm-hmm. Start doing the work on me. Start getting even more successful at work. And slowly that started to make him crack and he started to get violent and fast forward to the point where one night I woke up to the sound of a gun being cocked pointed at me and I thought I was going to die. Wow. So sorry for everyone, anyone out there that's been through whatever, but it's part of the story and I bring it up not to, I'm not a like into victim porn. I don't like, wallowing in it, but it's, it's a catalyst. I don't say this to make anybody feel bad because that me almost dying was the catalyst to choose my life. And to actually, that was the beginning Mm. of me, me finding my voice. Right. Because for actually two months two more than that, I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't told anybody before then I hadn't told anything. And the first time I really found my voice was I say, I always say it's the worst day of my life. And it was the day that I called my father and I told him what happened. 
and I made him promise he couldn't do anything. Oh, but I, but I told him that I needed help because I was going to move out and I just wanted him to be, I was living in North Carolina. My dad was in New York and I wanted him to just be like in the same state and on the same block. And I also knew that once I told my father that there was no way I was going back. There right. was no way. It was my way of planning my family. And I, I asked for help. And as somebody who had worked so damn hard to get through so many things in life and career, and I could do everything. I'm Wonder Woman. To ask for help was the hardest thing. I, I still, to this day, that <laughs> is the hardest thing I've ever done. And wow. so going forward from that, I mean, obviously you're healing from a lot of stuff, therapy and getting well. And I learned so much. I learned about movement and somatic experiencing and moving PTSD through the body. And I studied integrative nutrition and positive psychology. And I took coaching class. I did all this stuff at the time to be a better me. Right. To heal me because I didn't want to let this thing define me for the rest of my life. And then you have this other thing happen (laughs) and you're still going through whatever you're going through. But I don't think I would have been able to handle and use my voice at work if I didn't go through all this before, you know? Right. And then, so when I leave my job, you know, I decided, again, I was the kid who worked since they were eight. There's no such thing as a gap year when you're a kid of like immigrants, you know? There's none of that. So I said, I just, I gave away all my stuff. I gave it my apartment. I gave all my furniture away. I gave away clothes. I, my, my sister would joke, it's like you're dying. What do you, you know, don't give everything away. And I said, I just want a fresh start. And I want the people I love to have stuff. And I packed up the smallest amount of stuff. My dog was at my dad's. My cat was at my friend's. And I went to Europe for six weeks. Again, a very privileged thing to do. But I needed to clear my head in my happy place. And I wanted not to think about stuff. And I reset. I told myself I was going to take a year off. And I was going to explore all the things that I wanted to do without thinking of what somebody else wanted for me. Because it was the first time in my entire life, I'm 43 years old, that I didn't have to get anybody's approval for anything. Yeah. It was the most freeing experience. It was hard because I mentally you're going through all this stuff, but it was also allowed me to do that. And so I also am a naturally curious person. And so I looked around and I didn't see anybody who at 45 decided to blow up their life and change their career and do something else. And I started talking to some of my friends that I knew that had done similar things, different reasons. And that that's how the podcast was born because like you, I, I just kept hearing all these amazing stories and I'm like, why does nobody ever get to hear these voices? They're so exactly important. It. And on top of that, I said, you know, I've been coaching people for 15 years at my job. I sat back and I said, what's the best thing about what you did? Well, how can you mine your experiences at work and bring that forward and do something good that I feel good about that gets me up? every Mm -hmm. day. And the best parts of my day was always the time I spent coaching and mentoring people. And so I thought about the best way to do that. And I said, okay, well, how can I combine all these things? Because I, you know, I look at women holistically and I knew that I only wanted to work with women. And I knew that I never wanted to be employed by the, the corporate side. Yeah. I wanted it always to be clear 
whose team I was on without yeah. any conflict. Yeah. And that's, and that's how the company was born. So yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so when things started to turn south in your marriage, was that like a huge surprise for you? Or like, was there like yeah. little things that were like, you no. were just like one day going like, Oh my God, what happened? So the first time something happened, it was, it was completely out of the blue. Um, wow. we were on a, we went, it was the first time I was going to go skiing and we were in North Carolina in the mountains. It was beautiful. A couple of our friends had come up from Florida. Everybody was drinking, enjoying themselves. And then the guys probably drank a lot more. And, um, I think I remember they were all like on the hot tub, like drinking moonshine or some shitty alcohol or whatever. Right. And, uh, like they're like 12 and like sneaking their parents liquor. I don't, I don't get it. And it was really cold. And I remember going outside going, you guys are going to get pneumonia. It's like three degrees. They're all from Miami originally. Like it's (laughs) snowing. You don't realize when you get out of the hot tub and you're drunk, you morons, like you're going to get pneumonia. So I don't know what happened. He, so I think it was a little, and the beginning part is a little blurry, but he came in the house and it was like, he wasn't there anymore in his eyes. And he was, I am five, two and a half on a, on a good day. Um, kind of petite, strong, but kind of petite. He is six, two and a half. And at that point was like 250 pounds of solid wow. muscle boxes, does CrossFit box. I, I, I don't like past tense, but it makes it sound like something happened to him. But, and then he just kind of like picked me up and was holding me down and just started screaming at me and and saying all these horrible things that he hoped I died, that I ruined his life. Oh, and wow. just like went in, went in and it didn't stop. And I was like in a fetal position and just crying. I'm like, just please stop. Just put, and he wouldn't. And he was just like holding me down. He didn't hit me at that point, but like he was just doing that. And something in me broke that day. Right. That, and it never, because this was the one person who, in my whole life, I said, from the minute I met him, I felt like I could breathe. Mm. I would do this thing because he was so much taller than me. And, you know, like the divot in between pec muscles. Right. And when I would have a bad day at work, I would put my head there and go safe place. Like right. a little kid. Because that was my safe place. Right. And after that day, which, and the next day he said he didn't remember anything and da, da, da. And, you know. It was just like something died in me then. And then things just kept spiraling over the next year and a half. So it was a very, even with the like family history and everything, it was very much a surprise. Like I said, this was a, like a gentle giant. Right. Um, and it just, yeah, my life was never the same. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and like, so that's like the first time, like, you know, or not the first time, but an, an instance where trust, like a trust that you had, that's why you felt safe, right, was mm-hmm. broken. And then you then experienced that your job where, you know, mm-hmm. your trust once again is broken. It's like, a fun learning experience. It's a cycle, Talk about right? shaking like, the foundation, right? <laughs> yeah, it was like, all right, here we go. Divorce part two. Let's do this. Let's actually get it right this time. Because that was also another thing. Because when everything happened with my ex, I was still, even everything that he did to me, I mean, I gave up the whole ship. I mean, money, furniture, the pets we had, everything. I walked out, like I said, like Tina Turner in the movie, What's Love Got to Do With It? I had my name and nothing else. Because at that point, I was still scared. 
Right. But I knew I just wanted to get away. But that taught me a really good lesson so that later on, that's why I said I don't think I could have done what I did if I didn't go through what right. I did before because I was like, I was like, no, I, I'm not going to live in fear this time. Fuck this shit. Sorry. But I was yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not. And I'm stronger than this now. I'm stronger than this now. And he, they win. They win if I stay quiet. Yeah. So that was a, wow. It was a, I think I had to complete the whole circle to kind of get it out. Cause you know, there's a phrase, um, Terry Cole was one of my mentors. He's called repeating realities. Like you keep going through the same situations until you learn to get off those tracks. Well, I learned, I learned I'm a quick learner. Thank God. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, you know, and for so many of us, you know, you keep attracting the same situation over and over again. And you're like, Mm -hmm. at that, you know, after it happens the second time, the third, then you got to go, okay, Mm -hmm. what am I doing? (laughs) Like, what, what, what part of this do I own? Right. And then how do I stop this? Because like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you're the the one, they're the one um, common denominator in every situation, right? Exactly. And so Very I'm not cool. saying that I asked for it to happen. For but sure. I was just Nobody saying, does. I think I had to, exactly. It was just, it, it, it allowed me to resolve everything all at once, almost. Yeah. If you will. It's like, I, I finally was able, and that was also the catalyst. I had never told 90% of my family about what happened with my ex. Wow. They, my grandmother who raised me, like, she never asked me a question. She just said, I love you because that was so hard for me to seem like a failure, but I didn't want to tell them what happened. I didn't want to tell them what happened, but it took me all those other years. Finding my voice in one way allowed me to be brave enough to find my voice in every other way. So I was finally able to tell my relatives, I talk about it on the podcast. I talk about it here. Mm -hmm. Things that I would never have imagined all right. So thanks so much for, um, for sharing that story, your stories with us. Like I um, am super inspired by how you, first of all, how you found your voice and then like how that's carried you forward and the things that you've been able to do with that, you know, going from, you know, the good girl, you know what I mean? To being quiet and small and not rocking the boat to finding your voice on some pretty big things in your life. Mm-hmm. Ridiculously inspiring. So thank you for sharing those stories. So I have uh, one last question that I asked my guests. Actually, I haven't been doing it for a while, but I'm going to go back to it because it's really important. So in my writing a lot, I talk about um, the idea of mother maiden crone. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I talked about this on your podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I've been doing with my writing really is about defining that um, middle section between mother and crone. So it's like, you know, you're a mom and then you become this 80 year old Mm -hmm. woman sitting on a mountaintop spouting wisdom, but there's a huge chunk of life in between there called Maven. And Maven actually means an expert with knowledge and wisdom to share with the world. So in your Maven years, what is the Maven legacy that you would like to leave behind? Hmm. I want to leave behind. My family always inspires me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I, I mentor kids a lot and they, that are, grew up in the same type of neighborhood that I did. And the one thing that I always tell them is, you can be anything you want. Don't let, and it sounds cheesy, but 
don't let your parents, don't let this block, don't let your best friend define possibilities because you don't even know the world of possibility that is out there and will be out there when you're an adult. And my job right now is to just show you some of the things that are possible. Your job is to be curious. And I hope that whatever I do with the podcast or coaching, that I show women what's possible, what's possible, that they can be whatever it is they want to be. There's no right way to be a woman. There's no wrong way. Just be your dreams and then share them with other people. That's because we, we can change the world, you know? Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's a huge message at any age. And, you know, for some reason we think, you know, when we get to our forties and our fifties that that somehow that message doesn't apply because we've already done it, but that message applies through your entire life. Like, you know, you can be anything that there are possibilities. You can change your life. You can, you know, follow your dreams. It doesn't, age doesn't matter for, so, you know, you can give that advice to a 10 year old. You can give that advice to a 50 year old. It still applies. If I, let my circumstances define me I would never ever yeah have accomplished be able to give I mean the best thing I've ever done is the small Catholic school I went to where I grew up I put a scholarship in my grandma's name love it that's the best like one of the best things I've ever done and I do every year and I'm just like because I want some other little kid like me to get to have some of the opportunities that I had to see the world and then pay it forward in whatever way they can. I can't think of anything better than that. I can't. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love the message. Um, Thank you for sharing that with us. So if people want to find more about Mount Olympus coaching or Jessica Casucci, where can they find you? Check us out on the web at Mount Olympus Performance Group. It's MT Olympus Performance Group. On Instagram, we're at MT Olympus group, but GRP shortened. Um, hmm, okay. You can find me, Jessica Kasuchi, Google, we're on LinkedIn. We're, we're everywhere. Um, on Facebook, Instagram, my personal page on Instagram is that's Ms. Ms. Obviously J, but with underscores in between. Cause I like, or if you want to hear my big mouth a little bit more, you can listen to the podcast and it's called Boldly Spoken and it's on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all the places you get your podcast. Excellent. You can find me there. Yeah, I was going to say, if uh, you haven't already, then definitely tune into the Boldly Spoken podcast. Um, Our podcasts are very much aligned in terms of the message to go do the thing, that thing you've always wanted to do, go do that thing. And here are women who are doing it alongside you. So yeah, you're not alone. So I love that. So thank you, Jessica. I appreciate the time and you sharing so much of your personal experience. I think it's going to be immensely helpful and uh, inspiring for, for the audience. So thank you so much. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.